So, in today's episode of Famous Scripture Obscure Preacher, we'll be looking at perhaps the second best known passage in the Bible after John 3.16. You've heard it a hundred times before from a dozen different pulpits at 50% of all weddings you've ever attended, even though it's nothing with marriage. Yes, today it's the one on love. To give us a flash, I think the microphone's cutting out, isn't it? Shall I switch? Um, to give us a flavor of the next 30 minutes or so, this is an important piece of scripture, and it can affect the entire way we view society and how we behave towards God and towards other people. So I think we better pray. Right. Father, we need we need your help as we as we learn and understand scripture from you. We need your help to apply this to our lives. And sometimes Lord we need help with technology. free of my burdens. We're very professional here. <laughs> right, let's do it then. Shall we read our passage? Yeah. Uh, this is in the New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 31 to th- chapter 13, verse 7. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I could understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So, how are we doing? How do we measure up? (laughs) This beautiful section of scripture from the Apostle Paul is spectacular, and it's spectacularly challenging. Am I always patient and kind? always? Am I never jealous, boastful, proud, or rude? Never? Am I never selfish or irritable? Really? Never? Do I never give up or lose faith? Oh dear. 
Most of the time, the only way we can even cope with reading this passage is to kind of gloss over it and forget that it applies very specifically to every one of us. Really, all of us, not just the married couples, uh-huh, everyone. But how does it apply? What's the context? Well, the, for the immediate context, we need to glance back at chapter 12 and perhaps remember the three previous sermons on that chapter. We can do that, can't we? Remember everything the previous three preachers said? Okay, well, uh, just in case anyone like me needs a bit of a reminder, let me direct our attention to one key verse. It's the verse that I think unlocks all of this for us. It's chapter 12, verse 7. Chapter 12, verse 7, and I'm going to read it in four different translations. The English Standard Version, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The New Living Translation, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. And just for fun, William Tyndale's translation from the 16th century, and apologies to anyone for whom English is a second language, because this is very old English, so if you don't understand it, don't worry, none of us do. The Tyndale translation says, the gifties of ye spirit are given to every man to profit ye congregation. <laughs> Comes out in a kind of Scottish-French accent for some reason. <laughs> and Paul is telling us, he's telling the Corinthians why the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. It's for the common good, so we can help each other. And we really need to understand this reason. Look, if I had the gift of healing, I mean, I could lay hands on people and they would get better. Do you think that my motives would remain pure? Be kind. Maybe the first time I healed someone, I'd be like, oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus. But the 21st time I healed someone, in my head... I'd be like, oh yeah, I did that. It's so easy when God gives us a gift for us to misuse or abuse that gift. Gift of prophecy, being able to know what's going to happen. I'd be off to the racetrack. Hey, I know what horse is coming in first. Don't bother betting on that one, he's going to fall over at the first fence. Oh yeah, look at me, all prophetic and stuff. No. The Holy Spirit gives gifts for the common good so we can help each other to produce what is beneficial to profit ye congregation. In chapter 12, Paul goes on to say what sort of gifts the Holy Spirit gives, how he empowers people, the way in which all people with all gifts come together, just like a human body with many parts, each with a purpose. And then finally, in verse 31, he says, hope for the best gifts, and here's the best way to use them. I will show you a still more excellent way. 
And we move into chapter 13 with Paul saying how futile it is if we use any of these gifts without love. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I were a great speaker, note I said if, the best speaker, if I could speak in human languages, heavenly languages, in the languages of the angels themselves, but did this without love, I may as well just go bong, bong, bong. Have you ever listened to a sermon and thought to yourself, hey, that preacher doesn't seem to like people. He's sucking all the joy out of the room. I don't know, you might be thinking that right now. But let's assume you're not. Why do I preach? Not, why do you let me drone on for half an hour, though that's a perfectly valid question. Why do I preach? What's my purpose? What's my motivation? For preaching, teaching, it's a spiritual gift. In, in some say, senses, we might say that having a gift is reason enough to use it. Someone gifted with a lovely singing voice, well, they should be heard. But there's more to it than that in the kingdom of God. There's more to the way we conduct our meetings. There's more to the way we treat each other. The reason I preach, the reason I teach in church is that I long for us all to grow together. I long for us to have the answers that God gives us. I long for us to be comforted the way that God comforts us. And you know when we preach, we ask for the Holy Spirit to move through us for the message that we all receive to be from him first and foremost. But honestly, if a sermon is being delivered without love, you'd be better off politely reading your Bible and praying until it's over. Anyone doing that right now? <laughs> that being the case, we better agree what we mean by love, hadn't we? Love. This is a word, a word that has been annihilated by our society and by our culture. In the context of preaching, love doesn't mean telling you you're beautiful and giving you a warm, fuzzy feeling. You are beautiful, by the way. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Reproof, rebuke, correction, telling people they are wrong, exposing sin. And done correctly, this is the height of love. This is the love any good parent shows. Not correcting children from a sense of irritation or inconvenience. <laughs> no, out of love, out of concern for their growth and their welfare. So love isn't all sunshine and roses. Sometimes it's thunder and thorns. 
C.S. Lewis wrote a book in 1960 called The Four Loves, and in it he takes a close look at four different Greek words that are in the Bible, which are all translated into a single word in English, love. And we won't dwell on the four words and what they mean, because only one of them appears in today's passage. I haven't read The Four Loves, but my guess is that this book is one of the reasons why the collective Western Christian consciousness awoke to this particular word for love, agape. And we're looking at this Greek word because it appears so much in today's text. And if we use the English word love, we risk missing what God says, what he's asking of us in chapter 13. So now we can slightly paraphrase the most excellent way as follows. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but had no agape love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but had no agape love, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I had no agape love, I would have gained nothing. Agape love is patient and kind. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Agape love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And this is in the context of using the Holy Spirit's gifts for everyone's benefit. We do it with agape love, a self-sacrificing, generous love. We're going to see how to apply this shortly, but it's important for us to understand what agape love is all about and where or who it comes from. And for that, we'll start with the words of God the Father Almighty himself. You might want to turn in your own Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3. Before Jesus starts his public ministry, he goes to John the Baptist and he's uh, baptized. And then this happens. Matthew 3, 16 to 17. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water... The heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly agape loved son who brings me great joy. Agape love. That's the kind of love with which God, the Father, loves Jesus, the Son. Do we agape love our brothers and sisters like that (laughs) challenging you see agape love is too big for us to think we can conjure it up within ourselves we can't because 1 John 4 8 but anyone who does not agape love does not know God for God is agape love. God is agape love. Can I 
be agape love? No. Can any of us? The implication of what John says is that the only way we can be motivated by agape love is to know God first. Do you know God? Really? Do I? And I've got even more bad news for us because we're commanded to agape love God this way. Mark 12, 29 to 30. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God, and you must agape love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's standard. It's too big. I can't do it. Can you do it? And it's even worse. Because Jesus goes on to say to his disciples, to us, John 13, 34, so now I am giving you a new commandment, agape love each other, just as I have agape loved you, you should agape love each other. It's not optional. And John 14, 15, if you agape love me, obey my commandments. Oh no, we've got to agape love God doubly so because we've got to agape love Jesus which includes following his commandment to agape love God and we've got to agape love each other. I'm done, can't do it. But wait, there's hope. Let's start by focusing our entire attention on God. 1 John 4, verse 4. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people. John's talking about false prophets here. We've won a victory over them because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. He that is in us is greater. And Galatians 2, 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who agape loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in us and he is greater, which I believe was confirmed earlier in our service. And Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything Through Christ, who gives me strength. Christ is in us. He is greater. And everything we do, especially in how we love, we can do it through him. So we're not such lost causes after all. We can do it. I was just kidding before. We can apply the love of God, his agape love, to how we treat each other. And how we interact and serve one another in our meetings and in our lives and in our mission to the world. So let's start to apply this and see what it looks like in practice in the church. I'm going into full teacher mode on my next slide. I give you the practical agape matrix. 
If you're listening to the audio podcast or unable to see the slide, it's a two-by-two two grid, two rows, two columns. One column is headed without agape, one with agape, and then the rows are don't use the gift and use the gift. And I'm hoping to show some of the reasons for using a spiritual gift or not using it, depending on whether or not we're motivated by agape love. Think of it as a way of us testing our own hearts. So imagine God's given you a prophetic word or a word of knowledge, something the Holy Spirit has dropped into your mind to share with the church. What do you do? Let's start with the top left of our matrix. This is us not being motivated by love and we're not going to share the message. Why? Embarrassment is one reason. Oh, I can't get up in front of all these people. It will be terrible. I can't do it. It's not wrong to be embarrassed. It's not wrong to be embarrassed. Many people suffer with social anxiety, which makes it painful, genuinely painful to stand up at the front in church. But the question is, do you stop there with the embarrassment? No, I won't do it. Agape Love might say, this word is for other people. I must share it. If embarrassment is a pressure holding us back, agape love is the counter-pressure moving us forward. And if the, bar- if the embarrassment is so strong it can't be overcome, there are other ways to share. Write it down. Ask a friend to share on your behalf. Discuss it privately with a leader and so on. The point is that if we only consider our feelings, our own feelings, or if we're overwhelmed by what others might think of us, we're stuck in this square, immobilized. And the church doesn't benefit from the gift that the Holy Spirit chose to give to you. I really don't want to be harsh with people who suffer from this kind of embarrassment. It's not a sin to shy away from public speaking. Just if you have a gift, make sure it's expressed. Find a way that works for you to benefit the church out of love. If you feel that way, you're in good company. I mean, the the great prophet Moses said, I can't speak in public. I can't do it. So God graciously gave Moses the words, but allowed his brother Aaron to speak them on his behalf. Staying in this top left square, no agape, no sharing. Another thing that might hold us back is selfishness. I don't want to share. Why should I? This seat is so comfortable. Not these seats, obviously. You don't need me to explain why that's a wrong attitude. So that's holding back for the wrong reasons. But possibly even worse is using the gift for the wrong reasons. This is the bottom left square. I'm going to share the prophecy. People will love it, and then they'll love me. That's self-centered motivation, not agape, others-centered motivation. If I have prophetic powers, Paul says but have not love, I am nothing. 
If our motivation for using a spiritual gift is pride or seeking our own glory, it poisons it for us. It doesn't invalidate the gift, but Paul says that as far as I'm concerned, it has the exact opposite effect from what I hoped. Rather than achieving my own glory, I become nothing. Right, we've done with the horrible column, the no agape love column. Let's move over to the right-hand side of the matrix. Now we are being motivated by agape love. And importantly, note that just because we have a pure, loving motive, that doesn't mean we get to use our gifts all the time. There are still two rows. Use the gift or don't use the gift. So the top right square, our heart attitude is right, and this is agape love working, but we don't share the prophecy. Why not? Because our godly love tells us that this is not the right timing. We're being sensitive to the occasion, to the people, and to the Holy Spirit. So on this matrix with four squares, in only one of them is it good for us to use the gift right away. That's bottom right. We are using the gift and we're motivated by agape love. You have a prophecy, it's the right time to share it, and the effect will be for the common good, to help each other, to produce what is beneficial, to profit ye congregation. Some prophecies from God will encourage and build us up. Other prophecies will be stern, bringing correction and discipline. But that's okay if it's done with agape love. For the right motivation, with the authorization of the Holy Spirit. Does that help? Not very much, Rob. Now, I know that for some of us, when you hear this sermon, there's a risk you're going to walk away in greater bondage. And that clearly is not what God wants for you. You know, every time we, walk, we talk about the right way to live and the wrong way to live, good ways of doing things and bad ways of doing things, we run the risk of walking straight into legalism, into rules and regulations, into self-condemnation, or even if we think we're doing well, into self-righteousness. And that is not what this message is about. We can't live up to God's standard of agape love any more than we can go outside and pick up this building that we're in. God can, easily. We can't. And he doesn't condemn us for this. He doesn't even frown. Sometimes we do stuff and we think, oh, God's not going to be very pleased with me. Did we forget his agape love? Yes, he disciplines us sometimes, but not because he's mad with us. It's because he's our loving father and he wants us to grow. And so, yes, we aspire to love the way that Christ loves. And yes, we are going to fall short of his standard of love again and again. But that's okay. So many of us have an unhealthy relationship with authority. We've been punished in anger. We have felt the stomach 
clenching terror of disapproval. It's not like that with God. What Jesus did at the cross for us, taking away our sin, is just as perfect, just as complete as every other thing that he's done. So don't stop aspiring to love the way, to love God the way that he loves us. But also know, really know, that if you turn to Christ, you're okay. That he's okay with you, and that's not going to change. You're not strong enough. And knowing all that, seeing that beautiful picture of perfect love, perfect discipline, perfect acceptance, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit with the gifts he gives us to use these gifts for the common good, to help each other, to produce what is beneficial, to profit ye congregation. Be released from the burden of achievement. Be released into serving your brothers and sisters with the gifts and the love that God has given you. It just takes a very simple prayer. God, please grow my love. Please grow my compassion. So let's speak lovingly in tongues and in our earthly languages. Let's bring prophecies and godly wisdom with love. Let's allow our faith to be guided by love. Let's humbly give of ourselves. And as we submit to God and move in the gifts that he gives us, I know we will see ourselves become more patient, kind, humble, polite, self-sacrificing, forgiving, committed to truth and justice, enduring, faithful, and hopeful. This kind of love, this agape love, it's not a state of feeling. It's a matter of character. Character that God causes to mature. And it's a matter of personal choice. Choose well from a position of profound gratitude. And if you'd like a one-sentence summary of this sermon, here it is. Let us lovingly serve each other with our gifts for God's glory and for the sake of his church. Father God, please let the seed of your word be planted in our hearts and in our minds and let it grow. Lord, increase our love for one another and for the world in which you place us. Lord, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are gifts and they are good and we long to see them in action. Lord, please free us from the things that hold us back and let us move forward together as brothers and sisters who truly love each other.